It's another episode of Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. I watched a movie. This week we're doing The Laundromat. Or Secrecy World. Let's get into it. Secrecy World. Jake Bernstein. Tell us all about it. Came out in 2017. He was one of the dudes that was a part of uncovering all this Panama Papers business that was a huge scandal, and then suddenly everybody forgot about it, and nothing happened. Yeah, you remember when the, when the, the Panama... Oh, my God, the Panama... Oh my International God, the rich conspiracy. people, they did, and, the, and then at 2016, uh, yeah, New Year, and everyone forgot, and nothing happened, and <laughs> nothing changed. They won a Pulitzer Prize for that reporting, and then... That's what happened. And then that's what happened, and then maybe there's litigation, and there's things going on. But this movie came out about it, and it's Brand based new, on this the laundromat. book. And just to preface, I am not a master of finance, nor do I have a shell company. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to, uh, for the record, uh, neither do, uh, am I nor do I. <laughs> Anything involved with this. <laughs> so I got the basics for you. We'll go into the history of this and who was involved and how it came to be so grossly, negligently overlooked and how the movie tries to take sort of a humorous take on it. Is that correct? Yes, of course. It's it's in very comedic. <laughs> um, it's the guy who did Ocean's Eleven. Steven Soderbergh. Yes. The two main um, uh, scam artists uh, played by Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas who kind of break the fourth wall and kind of explain everything that's happening to the uh, the other characters, which primarily are people affected by all of this craziness, people that are really on the bottom end, the short end of the stick of all of this activity. Um, and, and the activity and is concealing artists. money in fake corp well not fake corporations being able to move money secretly and give it away secretly and just and and on the idea of just having a company that really just doesn't do anything except um, house money and move money around and invest in things and you're not quite sure who it actually belongs to and where the money goes and there are legitimate reasons that you would want to do this although most of the reasons that end up being the reasons are for tax fraud or money laundering or criminal activity. Yeah, like the what what are some of the like legitimate ways in which th- you would have it a It was sh- like you know? if your company was trying to release a product and they don't you don't yeah, want it to know to what the public financing secret, is, you know, and it's too early. When you when you're trying to mitigate like an inheritance conflict and so you need to put money away for somebody else for that reason because it's going to surpass in the will who knows the the very very to me it seemed like small reasons that this would be legitimately useful incredibly narrow but it's it's really provided for what seems to be just a massive loophole in the financial system Um, right that you could have your company ripe for exploitation my god your Uh, company can be based in a place that has zero tax anything and then you just don't have to pay it interestingly and maybe some people know about this delaware and Nevada in the U.S. are a big part of this. In 2015, Delaware had 128,000 LLCs Ooh. in that, which they do not have. But their tax rules and laws are really, really wow. good. What um, was the um, there, like? There's a headline now. I, I I heard that oh, at one time Ohio had more prescriptions for a like Percocet or something mm-hmm. of that nature than there were citizens in the state. Yeah. Which I thought to just be 
wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, just wildly. Yeah, and so that's the that's the big thing about this story of the Panama Papers was a leak from this company, Mossack and Fonseca, which are two guys that were in, in responsible yes, the, for this. Yes, the uh, uh, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas yeah. characters. They are the lawyers of this company that is involved in all this. And there are also tons of other companies and tons of other law firms. They were just the ones that got everything leaked about their operation. And then we forgot about it all. <sighs> it's troubling. But I, I will say just Quite for troubling. Some, some, some statistics, uh, according to this guy who did won the Pulitzer Prize and did all this stuff, 8%. Yeah, by the way, we're not experts in anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> for, to be twice reiterated. He was saying that 8% of household wealth is in this secrecy world in these – so like 8% of the wealth that exists on in our current human universe is unknown and oh, unaccounted fantastic. for. Yeah. And, I uh, love it. Well, we're going to start out with what, how these two guys, Mossack and Fonseca, came to be doing any of this because they have a troubled and confusing history and how they got connected and started all this. Interesting. Evan and I were talking about this briefly before, but I would not necessarily recommend diving deep into the book. So what we talk about here is really all you might need to know from the book, unless you're super interested in journalism. Yeah, I mean, and if you're into this kind of thing, yeah. Hey, it won the Pulitzer. <laughs> well, his um, his investigating know, his, did. His, the book his, did not. his yeah, yeah his his work, but um yeah. the movie uh, just if uh, conversely, the movie's good. It's on Netflix, um, and it came out October 18th, so it's readily available, and it has all these stars in it, so at some level you have to wonder why it is where it is. But that being said, it's pretty interesting. If you've seen The Big Short, it's definitely of that style, but it's Steven Soderbergh taking a shot at it, which mm-hmm. is really what it feels like. And I've heard some people, and Taylor mentioned that it by the end it does become like kind of preachy and PSA-like, and yes, it does, but... You know, I, it, that it was the nature of the film of, of, of the 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 two uh, the two scam artists telling you how everything works. So it's it was a quick you know. And so it's, that's it's, that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. They give you the the rundown of it, and and it, but the interesting part of that more so I think is the the stories they tell with the people that it affected. Mm. Um, those are really just fascinating. <laughs> um, so that's that's why it's worth to go to see the film. Cool. So we'll probably get into a couple of those stories and how they are based on actual things that happen to real people. But for the most part in the book, he's focusing on these two dudes, the head honchos of this company. So this company, Mossack Fonseca, had 600 people working for it, 42 offices around the world. The office in Panama was open 24 hours a day. Good Lord. And they are responsible with flooding the planet with 210,000 fake companies or companies that are not representative of who actually is running them. So Mossack. Give me one. Yeah. <laughs> and I want a company. Yeah. Well, you can't anymore. Well, I mean, I guess you could. I mean. <laughs> you still can. <laughs> not with these guys. They're out of business. Um, so who did this? Mossack. He, uh, his father, in March of 1945, Erhard Mossack, was captured for being a former SS corporal in Nazi Germany. Oh, my Germany. God. He joined the Hitler Youth at age 15, escaped from a prison in France, got his Nazi tattoo removed, and fled to Panama. This is this guy's father. That, that's, wow, that's this, The German wow. guy, yeah. Wow, wow. And so he moved, he was 13 at the time when they moved to Panama. This is Jurgen Mossack. And obviously, father, great influence, told him how to keep secrets. <laughs> 
you know. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't see any. No, that didn't influence at all. <laughs> uh, he went to law school in Panama, graduated in 73. Dad's a Nazi, graduated mm-hmm. law school 73. Nothing. Got it. Not a problem. <laughs> Not a, nothing, nothing to see here. Now he's cruising in Panama. We have this other guy, Fonseca, Ramon Fonseca. He has a family history of political activism. He became a Jesuit priest, though, dropped out of school. But he returned to law school after this head priest was murdered by the Panamanian military. They do explain this. I did think that this was a, an affecting scene. It, it was very a, simple. Yeah. Um, they, they play this out in the church while uh, he is like walking you through it. But it's also him watching as a young man. So it's the kind of du- the duality there. And he's pointing to the preacher up there. And that was a very interesting scene and it definitely got you wondering how in the world he he fell and they don't really explain it mm-hmm. he they just nobody he made, really he just knows. uh decided <laughs> that yeah. it was easier that's like exactly how they explain it in the film which i guess i mean yeah in a, in a real world twist of events that i thought was bizarre this guy ramon fonseca kept the bones because they found the dude's bones many years later the priest Really? That had such a formative influence on him. So he kept those bones under his desk because they could Whoa. never be positively identified as to how anything happened. Oh, my God. In the office. Just That's straight. Metal. Like he never got over it. But imagine if this hadn't had happened, he probably would have just kept being a priest. Absolutely. I mean, um, who knows? I mean, yeah. God. He was recruited by the UN for international law. So this is when he met an attorney in Geneva who got him into all these schemes about doing stuff because this is Switzerland and the banks and all that stuff. So he Mm. was coerced into this by some other person. And then in 1982, after six years of working at the UN, he went back to Panama, started his own law firm. And then this is how he and Mossack meet and start their company together Hmm. uh, in the 80s. Of course, Noriega, the famous dictator in Panama, was cruising around causing problems, Colombian drug trade flooding in. Not good for business. Uh, Military dictators tend to do that. So how did they come about this? This this then becomes why do they have 42 offices all over the universe as well? So there are other places where they're looking for how they're going to make all this stuff happen. So the British Virgin Islands is one. And there's a very murky distinction, which I think they also bring up in the movie, about tax avoidance, which is pushing the boundaries of paying taxes yeah, they and bring tax that up evasion in the film. Yeah, and then tax evasion is violating the law and you get arrested for that. And they purposefully don't really explain <laughs> how that works. How what tax avoidance versus tax evasion sounds pretty similar. What's the difference? One as of them is thin as a brick wall as one a of them cell is, wall yeah. is how they explain it. Yeah, a prison's prison wall. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the difference. There's also, I didn't realize this, there's an island off the coast of Normandy called Jersey, which is very close to the United Kingdom, which is also another one of these tax havens where oh. the, the tax uh, percentage is very low. One. Yeah. So that was used a lot for, for British stuff. But the, the way they're, they're getting away with this is they have all of these fake directors or what they call nominees for these companies. So they're just random Panamanian people that are signing off on it. So there's this layer of obfuscation and secrecy about who is actually involved in these companies. Mm-hmm. So they make the company. They're just churning out these fake companies that are registered in Panama and the British Virgin Islands and Jersey and all these other places. There's um, a great character. Which I'm a bit confused about. At the end, they kind of have this like meta, you know, the meta thing where all the characters, you know, are talking or whatever. And, yeah. The actors, you know, but 
one one character walks in and then she takes up every, off everything and it's Meryl Streep and so I like started to wonder did she play that character the entire film and I like I don't know she did I, yeah. she did because yeah. they don't credit her and like <laughs> I went and looked back and I was so confused um, yeah I think the movie is trying to make a commentary about how confusing these things yeah, are yeah. and how people are not what job well done anything. on that on that front because uh, yeah. it was fascinating mm-hmm. um yeah, <laughs> but that is the character that you know that they, they uh, exemplify with this this process of just getting people to uh, sign off on things in which they have no idea uh, the implications are. So they, it's just their job, and they're like, "Oh, great, I, yeah. I'm useful." Yeah. So how did they get so popular then in doing this? Like this company specifically, how did they get all of these customers to be a part of it? Mm-hmm. They literally, he says in an interview. That it's like uh, they compared themselves to McDonald's. Like they're going to franchise out Mossack Fonseca, which is why they have 42 oh, offices weird. everywhere. They compared themselves to McDonald's. The so McDonald's this, of? Of shell company of shell creations and offshore. Now that's yeah. a business. That also helps them because it offloads responsibility. If you're going through an intermediary in your London office who is also going through a – nominee who is not the person and then it's under a trust and trustee situation as well that's which just is somebody a shift else. trajectory that's yeah. just the same thing they were doing just pointed a different direction mm-hmm. <laughs> the other last thing they did which will come up much later in an interesting turn of events that happens in the movie that's based on something in real life they would backdate documents and loans for currency changes so it was like yeah. oh yeah we actually made this deal four months ago and then it's to their benefit. You could make $90,000 randomly or something like that just doing that. And they would charge a fee for that for backdating certain documents. Good Lord. Which is definitely illegal. Um, <sighs> so these are just the – I just the, sigh. Yeah. I just uh... – <laughs> We're getting in deeper. These are just the companies. What They have to have the money somewhere too, right? Because this somewhere. is what these companies are for. Is somewhere, to, somewhere. Is to move there's money There's some around. money. So this is what happens with the banks. You need banks to do something with this money. And it is like the movies, the the anonymous Swiss bank account. Most of this stuff was going It's through. real. Yes. Switzerland is the usual one. There's a bank, HSBC. Why aren't the, the Swiss handling this? Why aren't the Swiss like, oh, yeah, well, hold on. Right. It's not like at that point they're certainly aware – well, it's a part of their so they culture and society. It. As legally, you would get three years in jail if you revealed the info of your banking clients. Really? Yeah, it, it's a part of their their whole thing. The bankers, again, this is Mossack Fonseca taking themselves a layer out of it to remove culpability. Yep. It's like the bankers are the ones that are supposed to be screening the clients, so they don't even know right. if the bank is coming to them saying we need to. They assume that the bank has vetted this person and they aren't some drug lord who's trying to launder their money. But the government is aware of this because the CIA and the KGB had needs for secret bank accounts. Like we say in the movies, it's all a joke, but they were doing it too. So they know that this stuff is happening. So then why didn't the IRS try and stop this would come next? And the answer is they did try. Yeah, There was one particular guy named Joe West who worked through this through the 70s and the 80s and a little bit into the 90s to try and make this happen. He tried to do Operation Trade Winds in 1972, which did expose a lot of stuff. It exposed Hugh Hefner. It exposed 
Cleden's. Well, we don't need to expose him. Yeah, he's exposed so much. He's exposed uh, himself. Also, in this operation that got busted for all these companies was a uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, the owners of the Hyatt Hotel. What? The Creedence? <laughs> no. And a little bit of Richard Nixon. But this whole thing was professional suicide, <laughs> went nowhere because of the corruption going to the top. So he came acro- across another case in the 80s. You mean it's been happening for decades? <laughs> it actually, there was a letter from. Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1937. Oh, no. About 64 offshore companies complaining about the Bahamas and Panama. So the problem with Joe West was, like I said, it's just blocking what he was going for. There was a bill for regulatory actions that got stalled. And so there was complications further on. And then September 11th happened. And as a part of Title III of the Patriot Act, the US needed to know customers on foreign financial institutions because of terrorist threats. So that got him a little bit further, but he was so beaten down by the bureaucracy, he retired early and nothing really came from a lot of his work done in those three decades. So now that all this stuff is happening and there's no recourse for all of this, they're just building and amassing these companies. What problems are they mounting on that is eventually going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Mm. There's a guy, his name will come up later, so remember him, Zollinger. Zollinger. In 2003, he became the chief operating officer and then a junior partner. Um, So now he's in the mix helping them, and he's from Switzerland. Climbing that ladder. Climbing that ladder. Problems that come about. In Europe in 2005, they created a law that they had to accept taxes on foreign banking, but only if it applied to individuals not to companies. Uh. So then there were people that were getting even more on this train that weren't even hyper wealthy. Yeah, and now were just, just moderately people who were wealthy. trying to avoid the new tax, that the were new like, like kind of <laughs> Yeah, God. they were like, oh, well, I might as well just do this. There was, <laughs> there was this island of Nui that got shut down through being like, you can't do this here anymore. They had 9,000 companies that were housed on this island, not housed, but you know what I mean, like registered on this island and now they can't should, do it. This feels like you should have to apply. <laughs> so like the like a federal age, like entity. Well, it's through that government. It's through the Panamanian government or through the British Virgin Islands. Like that's where the company is. That's where the company is hosted. Yeah, oh my God. yeah. And so you are. It's legal. You are. You have a company in that place. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, just just a little bit of the chaos for. How- <laughs> I think in the movie they say Steven Soderbergh has five. Probably yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Or, uh, yeah. I, I might be mistaken on what what point they were making, but they were like at one point when Gary Oldman is 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 you know t- explaining everything mm-hmm. about this this exactly. I'm pretty sure he's he's like he's saying this like, oh, the director of this film has five. <laughs> like oh my god! Like that that comment on its own was was like almost like. And that might be the headline from the whole thing. It's mm. just that they said that he was f- okay with that and did that. I don't know. Like, and then how he's do, part of how the do problem. you do that? God, yeah. yeah no, exactly. Um, that's. I mean, it's um, it's amazing. Like, I don't even know. Like, I'm just like I'm. I'm not like I think. And that's kind of the moral of the whole thing. Not the moral, but that's the kind of a takeaway in the whole thing is why am I so numb to this? It's like all of these problems. Like, I don't understand them. I, I, 
it's so hard for for normal people, you know, just to make the ends meet and raise yeah. a family and pay the bills. This is people that have. I have a short patience for for it, I suppose. And mm-hmm. and if I guess nobody's going to change it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also an international thing. It's like, how can you force another country to not yeah, have companies know. and to make their tax laws high? Like, you can't force Panama. No, to absolutely. Be like, but I, I don't. Well, I don't know. How do? You, how can you stop it? How can you stop? I don't know. How can you stop? <laughs> I don't know. Who's trying? Is anybody thinking about it? It's like, yes, this is a rule, but does that make it right? You don't have a company in Panama. You don't live in Panama. Yeah, your company is in England. You should be paying what England asks you to pay to have a company there yeah. or whatever it might be. That's how I see it. But I guess if you're in the game of it, you're like, oh, well, this is part of the game. And it's like, I well, guess. it's tough to, it's tough when you're not in that place. The, the thing is, because this is getting over the top, there's all these rules and regulations and crazy stuff that's happening. Like we talked about all these nominees and directors and mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. There was this woman, Bianca Scott, age 36, mother, she just died in a car accident, The woman, a woman in Panama. She was nominee director. Her name was on 8,000 of these companies. And so they're like, what are we going to do? God. How do we, we change? So they, they had three other people that they could do with the last name Alan Wilson or Wong because they work well in international markets and they're pretty bland and it keeps it simple. But her name appeared still 10 years later if there didn't need to be any changes to the initial documentation of the company or oh if they didn't need gosh. to re- redo yeah, yeah. any paperwork. So her name still is on there. Uh, uh, and she's been dead for 10 years. Oh my gosh. There are that couple, is yeah. in the film. They explain all of that uh, explicitly. And that's where that uh, extra Meryl Streep character comes mm-hmm. in to replace her. But they don't, it's not exactly her. They, I think they've dramatized it. And I think, she, you know, different numbers, different person. But yes, that happens in yeah, the film. Yeah. And the Meryl Streep character what how she gets involved in this is actually based now, on there's something. two but her main character is ellen is this what you're about mm-hmm. to yes mm-hmm. so here we go yeah so this is based on a real story because in the movie her husband dies in some tragic boating accident yes. and then the boating company had fraudulent insurance and that's where she's like this isn't fair this doesn't make any sense and then she goes on her gonzo investigative journalist reporting to try and old figure out taking down the man yeah know? yeah and she's random old meryl streep trying to make change happen get into the bottom of it What's this is going based, on here yeah. young man this is based on a real thing that happened there was a boating accident in upstate new york where 47 passengers were on board I, I vaguely remembered this after I looked it up. 20 really? people did die. It was like a glass-walled boat, and people were like, well, the windows were up. They weren't up at capsized. Oh. It was like a retirement thing Oh no! on a lake in upstate New York. Oh. And there, it was, they were sold a fraudulent insurance policy. Uh. The guy, Mr. Bond Camper, who appears, is in the movie as well. Jeffrey Wright. He plays that character. Yes. Who is oh, a, the illustrious Jeffrey Wright. And in real life, this was actually tied to these two other guys. So the company, Shoreline, who had the boat, when they tried to collect on the insurance for the accident, they said that they had drafted this weird co- shell company that didn't really actually have insurance. Mm-hmm. Remember, we talked about those backdated documents. They tried to draft falsified backdated documents to convince the tour company that it never bought coverage for the accident on oh Lake George. Oh my God, how insidious. How insidious. So then this Mr. Bonkamper, he pleaded to money laundering charges related to insurance fraud sentence in federal prison. It all went down. Then 
The problem was he had also served as a nominee director for 30 more companies uh, created by the law firm. So now they got to figure out something for him. So then Masak Fonseca. It's almost, it's funny almost, you yeah. know, like maybe that's why it's a comedy film. <laughs> so then, so then here's what Masak Fonseca do. They backdate records on their end in a way to make it appear that changes had taken place a decade earlier to where he wasn't the nominee. We're full for cartoon mode. Yeah. Engage. <laughs> it's just so backwards they'll do anything they don't do anything at all yeah one of the things that is in the book that certainly i don't think is in the movie that was very interesting to me was how a lot of this money is in buildings or in property or in Mm -hmm. yachts or in these Mm -hmm. other assets that again seek to further obfuscate where this money is actually placed and a big big world that this happens in is the art world yeah that makes a ton of sense yeah this is also big in Switzerland. There is a thing called the Geneva Freeport, which is 600,000 square feet. And I looked this up because that doesn't mean anything to me. That's 10 football fields or six city blocks in Manhattan. Just a warehouse of art that exists Good in Lord. Switzerland. 1.2 million pieces of art valued at $100 billion. Really? Just sitting there. Oh, my God. Um and so these companies are just using it as a physical asset. It could be for money laundering, could be for something legitimate. And you can just rent the vault. The vault is tax-free. No government can collect a cent. Even if you bought a painting at an art auction in New York, shipped it to this vault. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. The Italian government found they looted this vault, and it was this guy who died in jail. And this thing had just been sitting there for 15 years and it was like ancient Roman and Etruscan artifacts. What? They don't even know some what? some of these places because sometimes the sale is conducted from like vault to vault and the art never leaves the premises. It could be entirely for laundering and there actually is no artwork and it's just an f- entirely fictitious sale oh my God. That, for things that doesn't even exist. It used to be that this art was investments, you know – that was sent to a museum and then they got a tax deduction from that or in a private mm-hmm. collection or something. And now it's just hoarded in this thing. The largest- Which po- may or may not even exist. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. The largest Picasso collection- It's on the internet. Right. <laughs> you can just look at it. The largest Picasso collection outside of what the Picasso family owns is allegedly just sitting in this vault. Oh, no. Um, <sighs> something I didn't even know about that was happening. <laughs> But luckily, we're on the we're on the upswing now. This is the second part of the book. We have some breakthroughs. Oh God! There were actually and I'm drowning. (laughs) I'm drowning, please. In sadness, there were five scandals before this Panama Papers came about. Leaks and things, and and tightening of the screws and the noose on what was going on with this. Oh, really? That finally led to this. The first thing that happened in 2009, UBS was a bank in Switzerland. There was this guy, Birkenfeld, who blew the whistle on this. Like you said, like, yeah. why don't the Swiss care? This yeah. guy this guy cared. So they got over 4,000 names. And then what caused from this was that British Virgin Islands and the Bahamas got way more restrictions on money laundering. Um, so Panama's resources and the amount of companies that were growing grew 10 times once all of this stuff happened. I bet. Then in January 2012, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, which is where this guy, Jake, is from and what he's doing all this research on, Mm -hmm. they, the scandal number two was the offshore papers. From an anonymous source, 260 gigabytes, two and a half million files 
they collaborated with all these other countries because they had to parse through all this data yeah. and figure out who was connected to what. Took a long time. Involved 86 reporters from 46 different countries. That got released in 2012. And then the scandal number three related to the offshore papers was stuff going on in China, but they waited to put it out as a separate situation. Mm. Um, but that was censored in China and the revelations of from course. that never really happened. Scandals number four and five was in Luxembourg where they had a bunch of tax ar agreements and arrangements that got found out that were fraudulent. And then the big bank HSBC, there were files that released from them. Oh, uh, yeah. So all of that is building to then building the to Panama, Panama Papers, which happened in February of 2015. These two guys, Obermeier and Obermeier, spelt differently though. <laughs> Obermeier and Obermeier. Yeah. <laughs> in Germany, they called the ICIJ and said, we got this anonymous thing of all this stuff. Got this call from this um, Oscar Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a John Doe. We still don't know who it is, but this is the big kahuna of all of this information. Way, you know, five times, yeah. six times bigger than what was in the offshore papers. It. So I don't know if you remember that guy Zollinger, who Zollinger, they had, who they had said here he comes. was uh, was getting more heavily involved in what's going on at this law firm. Okay. He had moved back to Switzerland in 2012, and in a strange turn of events, he tried to make a run for a Panamanian bobsled team. He was like, uh -huh. that was like one of his side projects. Well, he had a dream. He had a huge backing. He got the passports. I support him. He got donations, but they failed to qualify. No, no. But he just outright denied and said that he had never been a partner of this law firm or been involved in any of the Mosek and Sega <laughs> or Fonseca stuff. It was like, well, <laughs> what were you doing in Panama trying to start a bobsled team? <laughs> How'd that work out? Um, Fonseca and Mozak had seen the writing on the wall, so they were trying to retire in 2010. They got this other guy, Hernandez, to do a lot of the work. Just for our really only literary connection, this guy Fonseca had a literary career as a side hustle in this time frame. Oh, really? So from 94 to 2000, he wrote three novels – one short story collection, two young adult what? books. Prolific. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> all three of his novels won literary prizes in Panama. Oh, wow. And he had bought an orange plantation and was planning to build a cabin on it. He was like ready to get out of this. Um, Dang. Yeah. Oh. Mossack was the head of the Rotary Club. <laughs> he had his third wife that he was with. But the big thing, all of this pressure is mounting. And now, like I said, like British yeah. Virgin Islands, all these other yeah. places are being more strict on the anti-fraud, anti-whatever. So they were basically just filling compliance obligations as opposed to starting new companies. They were like, well, we need to figure out who is actually doing this. And they're like, we don't know. Like in the Seychelles, they had 14,086 companies in that chain of islands. They only knew who the actual owners were for 204 oh, no. of these companies. So oh, now they're just like having to, to go back through and figure out who is actually doing anything of anything. So then on April 3rd, 2016, this is when the Panama Papers broke. The, all the leak findings were being made public. It was 11 million documents for over 200,000 accounts. Oh, wow. Um, so the repercussions on these guys, they got incarcerated for two months and then- Two months. Yeah. Their thing quoted, we were one of a thousand outfits doing the same thing, which is true. This was just the one, whoever was involved in this, that, that blew oh the whistle God. and got it all released. 
And a quote from them, they said, we are not angels, but we are not devils either. And I think that's probably why in the movie they frame it in a humorous light or yeah. try to endear to them. Because it's like, the sense that I got from the book was they were very complicit in what was going on, but also they got way in over their heads yeah, and were not exactly in, they were five layers away from actual drug trade or fraudulent artworks or and and an arm's distance from you know the boots on the ground effects of what they did mm -hmm. um and which I, the film does do a good job of, of really focusing on the afterhand effects on what on what this activity allows for mm -hmm. um so in that in that respect certainly succeeds um that it, it's the, the the people who run these companies uh I know, you know, most people would think they're doing the best they can. And but that doesn't mean that somewhere down the line, somebody is not paying the price. Yeah. The one final uh, situation that happens in the movie that was based on something in real life was the uh, the lady from China who was a businesswoman. Fascinating. Who, who murdered this guy. Who was trying to extort her. Mm-hmm. That actually happened in real life. I, I thought it had to be true. You know, like that's the craziest one that they go into. I mean, because you, you go like, this is a movie, but there's at, once it all happens and <laughs> that storyline is over and it really just hits the nail in with them getting arrested. And, you, and I'm like, that's totally true. That's a 100% true story. I don't even have to look that up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know that that's not even fudged a little. <laughs> <laughs> She's not explicitly tied to them and their dealings, but it does have to do with shell corporations and offshore accounts and yeah. hiding money and all of that stuff. In a bizarre twist that I don't think is in the movie, the real lady sent a double to her trial. So it wasn't- Oh, whoa. Her. Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> That's- <laughs> Which is a very popular practice in China, but it, it is very- it's, it's just like the perfect indicative metaphor of like, you didn't actually learn your lesson and you're like still pretending to be somebody or like not willing to take responsibility for so, what you did. So wait, who was going to go to jail? <laughs> I don't know. If they hadn't no probably call? her. Yeah, but, but she but, just didn't make an appearance in court with somebody that looked like okay, her. Okay, so okay, that showed up to the trial. Because for half a second, I'm thinking full body double replacement. <laughs> somebody else goes <laughs> to jail fall. for her, and I go, what? No, because that'd be a crazy scheme to uncover, <laughs> and I wish we were on the heels of that. But yeah. Uh, still crazy enough. That's still bananas. Oh my god! Just to think that you could get away with just you know what? What she? What did he give her? Big it sunglasses? Like, her. like come on! I hope it was sunglasses with like a nose and mustache on it, <laughs> <laughs> like a Groucho Marx. But I guess I guess the the big the big lesson from here is like in all of this world, like everything is somebody else, and everything is somebody <laughs> else's fault, or who is responsible for what actually happened with anything, and it, it goes. All the way from the bottom to the top. I'm still laughing about she did not learn her lesson even in the slightest bit. That's amazing. Yeah, she got life in prison. She was going to be sentenced to death and then they just gave her life in prison. Okay, well. There you go. Or her double has life in prison. Who knows? Who knows? God, who knows anything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The scandal itself. Good Lord. Hundreds this stuff of is This stuff is just, is just so dense. It's so maddening. And there's no answer on what to do. But we can't not talk about it. And and I think it, uh, we've got to keep shining a light on it. And thinking about it and 
some learning we can, more. we can fix these things yeah if we're this angry <laughs> by them I, we can fix them we've just we can't give up we can't stop talking about online we can't stop sticking up for the people who are affected by it yeah yeah so pick up the book if you're interested in the journalistic take on it watch the movie if you want a more lighthearted, digestible format for it hit us up on instagram yeah if you had no idea what we were talking about or knew exactly what we were talking about or if you have a shell corporation <laughs> if you have a shell corporation please slide into our dms because yeah. i, I want to talk at you at illiterate pod on instagram and we'll catch you all next week Thank you.